So we will begin the season of Advent just two weeks from now. Uh, It is my favorite time of the year, my favorite season of the year. Uh, I'm not saying that Christmas is my favorite holiday. It is, but what I'm saying about Advent is different. What I'm saying is that Advent is my favorite season because Advent is a month-long season where the church prepares her heart for God to show up. It's a season of preparation and anticipation and waiting and sort of rekindling our imaginations and our hearts to long for the gospel of peace. Uh, Not just in our own hearts, but for all of creation as well. Uh, If you have no clue why we celebrate Christmas at all, other than just to commemorate Jesus's birthday, then I suggest you come to Sweetwater during the season of Advent. Uh, We're going to learn all about it, and we're going to learn how to rekindle our hearts for the arrival of God. That begins two weeks from now, but for today and next week, uh, the lectionary is taking us through some very interesting parables from Jesus. Uh, We like to follow the lectionary, not Not exclusively, but a lot of the times because it wisely leads us into a well-rounded representation of Jesus uh, and his ministry. It it keeps us from cherry-picking and creating a Jesus that looks a lot like us. So the lectionary keeps us looking more like him rather than the other way around, okay? And what that means is that sometimes we're going to get texts like this one and texts like next week, texts that are challenging both theologically and practically uh, in our everyday lives. So we will be in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Bibles in front of you or under you. If you don't have a Bible, just keep that one. And if you want to study the Bible together, email me or bring it up in your small group. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. I would recommend following along in this one. Because we are in a portion of Matthew known as the eschatological discourse, right? Uh, You might remember maybe several weeks ago, I mentioned that there are five discourses in Matthew. Uh, Five long stretches where Jesus is teaching his disciples and other people face to face, and they're usually having some sort of back and forth conversation about what that teaching means. Uh, So there's the Sermon on the Mount. That's, That's discourse number one. And then you have the mission discourse, and then the parabolic discourse, which is just teaching in parables. Uh, Then you have the discourse for the church, teachings just for the church. And now we're in what's called the eschatological discourse, the the teaching on the end of all things, end times stuff. That's the context of our passage today. Jesus is teaching his followers what to expect the end of all things to be like. Specifically, our text today is about the in-between. Uh, between the time when our master leaves and between the time he returns again, that time in between. Uh, It's all about what you and I do today in preparation for then. 
whenever it is, whatever it looks like. Uh, our parable today is a, is a parable about waiting well. Uh, and because it's eschatological, it inherently has a lot of uh, urgency to it because the master is returning. So he's coming, right? We have to do something about it. Uh, it's telling us to, to get our act together because these things really matter. And it will determine whether the return of the master works really well for us or works out really badly for us. So, uh, and Jesus needs to teach on this because he's only a few days away from his trial and arrest and execution. Uh, So it's a tense time for Jesus. And some of that urgency and tenseness comes through in this parable about the end of all things. Uh, and, And in our text today, Jesus is going to tell us how to wait for his arrival well. Uh, So it's Advent adjacent uh, in the sense because Advent is all about waiting for God's arrival in our lives. And that's exactly what our text today is about, waiting for the arrival of Jesus and telling him about what we did with the gifts that he gave us in the meantime. Uh, So it's an imperfect parable. It's imperfect because there is no parable that is a photograph of the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus has to tell you so many of them, right? No, no parable is a perfect paragraph, but it's an important parable because there are very few times when Jesus actually teaches on this. Uh, so we need to pay attention because it is very important to Jesus and it's fairly long. That's why I said you should get your Bibles out and follow along. Uh, so keep that in mind. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version updated edition this morning. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. At once, the one who had received five talents went off and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had received two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of the house of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received five talents came forward, bringing five more, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy servant. You have been trustworthy in a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of the master. And the one with the two talents also came forward saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I've made two more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy servant. You have been trustworthy in a few things and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of the master. And then the one who had received one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you do not scatter. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you you can have what is yours. 
But his master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew, did you, that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I do not scatter. Then you ought to have at least invested my money with the bankers. And on my return, I would have received a little interest of what's worth of my own. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with 10. For all those who have, more will be given and they all will have abundance. But those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless servant, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a fun text to start the day, isn't it? Yeah. It's eschatological. It's end time stuff. You can probably see a lot of the tension and a lot of the urgency coming through in that passage, right? Um, He's teaching about future things. He starts by saying, it will be like. What will what be like? Well, when our master Jesus returns, this is what it will be like. When the arrival of God happens, God is going to wonder what happened to the talents that God gave us. How did we wait for his arrival? Did we do something with what we were given or did we wait by not doing something with it? What are our lives right now and how does that translate to when God arrives? You see, even though this is an eschatological text, It has everything to do with right now. Uh, It's a text about the future, sure, but it's really, really about right now. Because what we are doing right now makes us like servant number one, servant number two, or servant number three. This is how all eschatological texts work. They have some sort of cryptic or vague future setting, but what determines the outcome of that future setting is what happens in the here and now. That's that's how the kingdom of God works. It's coming. It's not quite fully here. It's uh, we're, we're waiting for its arrival and yet it is here and we are living in it and it is tangibly ready and available for us. And throughout Christian history, this tension between the now and the not yet has informed us how to live a Christ-like life in the world. And Jesus is telling us how to live now with the future in mind. So he tells us this parable where a master goes on a journey, leaves his wealth with his servants, and he comes back and he expects that wealth to multiply, to grow. Jesus says that the master left his servants talents. Now, many of us read that word, and because it's phonetically close to the English word for talent, meaning your skills and your abilities, we may think that this parable is about using your abilities that God gave you. And yes, that's maybe exactly right. Um, that's, that's what this text is about. We've, we've seen over the last year running through the book of Matthew this theme that our faith is comprised both of words and faithful deeds. Matthew is a book that compels us to live a Christian life and not just have a Christian life. 
So yes, this text falls in that tradition of living out the Christian life by using what God gave you, but this text is also a lot more involved than that. It's a lot deeper than that. See, the word talents is a transliteration. Does anybody know what a transliteration is? All it means is that when you say the word talent, you're actually saying the Greek word out loud using English letters and accent. Uh, You're just saying the Greek word talent. Uh, Talentos is really what it is. We aren't getting the meaning out of it by just saying it. We, We need to know what a talent is. And in Greek, a talent is a massive sum of money. Massive. Uh, probably silver. And when we read this, we might think that the master gave, you know, 5,000 bucks, 2,000 bucks, and 1,000 bucks. That's, that's probably kind of what we think. And, you know, like the third servant only got a little to work with. We know 1,000 bucks doesn't go as far as it used to, right? But they got way more than that because a talent is actually a measurement of weight, probably in silver. And one talent, one talent, is equal to 6,000 days wages, 20 years worth of salary. That's what one talent is worth. It's about 100 pounds of silver. And I may be tempted to dig a hole and keep it there too if somebody gave me 100 pounds worth of silver, much less somebody gave me 500 pounds worth of silver. We're talking about a massive amount of wealth here. This isn't venture capitalist money where you try to do a lot with a, with a little, okay? This, this is inheritance level money and it's inheritance level money that most of us will never be able to give or receive. It's a huge amount of money that is equal to basically every dollar you'll ever make in your life. It's a metaphor to mean everything you'll ever produce or create with your life, not about doing a lot with a little. And this is the first mistake we make with this parable. This text has nothing to do with venture capitalism or how lazy you are. The master says lazy servant, but not in the way lazy you and I think in terms of like trying to multiply a little bit of cash. It's all about how you lived your life in light of the massive amount of riches that God has blessed you with. That's what it's about. It's not how you squeeze the value out of a thousand bucks for God. It's about how you either held on selfishly to what God blessed you with or how you took the risk to let it grow for the kingdom of God. It's not about laziness in that sense. It's about selfishness. It's about holding on to what God gives you or about using what God gives you because we deal in the currency of God. What is the currency of God? You have to know that this parable isn't really about silver, right? We have to know what the, what the currency of God is. What does the massive amount of silver represent? Jesus uses silver as a way to help us understand that God has given us all something of immense value, but but what is it that God has so liberally blessed us with? Love, grace, mercy, truth, justice, goodness, joy, 
spiritual growth. All of these things are given to us liberally by God. And they look different in your life, right? Loved ones, children, weddings and funerals, new opportunities, our incomes, food, travel, the safety that you feel at home, rain, and we all know that coffee is on that list too. In the parable, the currency of God is less about whether it's silver or gold or about if the bank will give you a return on your investment. The secret of the currency of God is the weight. It's the talent. It's the immense amount that God has given you to wait on him well with. And God has given you an immense amount. An immense amount is something that you usually don't want to give up or you don't want to risk. And that's why the third servant buried his talent. He didn't want to lose what was given to him, this massive amount. What immense amount has God given you? What could you never risk losing? What has God given you that would equal to or greater than a hundred years of the work that you could produce in the world or a hundred years of your salary? What is that thing? For me, it's my wife and my kids. My life could produce a hundred years worth of good for the world and the kingdom of God, but I would, I would never choose any of those things over them right? They are an immense talent that God has given me, immeasurable in love, immeasurable in grace, immeasurable in mercy and truth and goodness and joy and spiritual growth in my life. And what this parable is asking of me is how much of how much like God am I going to be with those things that he gave me? Am I going to hold on and bury all that love and bury all that joy and grace that I have in my life just to hold on to it for myself where only I can find it and where only I can get it? Just receive and never give any of it to anybody else? Is that how I'm going to use the weighty talents that God just freely has given to me? If I do, what is Jesus going to think of that? Every Sunday, we pray to be more and more like him. And if I keep all the love and the grace and the opportunities and the income and the safety and the mercy and the coffee all to myself, then I will have squandered the immense amount that God has given me. I will be just like the prodigal son who said, Father, give me my inheritance early. That immense amount of wealth, give it to me early. And out of love and mercy and kindness, the father gives him the immense amount of wealth. And then he goes and uses it on himself. And where does he end up? In a pigsty. Ends up in a pigsty. Spiritually speaking, he ended up in outer darkness. Skotos is the word in Greek there. First John says that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So to be in outer darkness may mean something like not participating in God's kingdom because God is light. 
The parable isn't about turning $1 into two. It's about being like God, liberally giving away and using the immense amount that has been given to you. And yet, this parable is about turning $1 into two. That's what the first two servants did, didn't they? One dollar into two. The, the two that the master was pleased with, they both doubled their talents. Five into ten and two into four. And the way they did double their talents was not by holding on to the immense amount that they were given, but they risked it and they used it. How many of us know that it is risky to love somebody. It is risky to love somebody. We can get hurt. They can die. They may not reciprocate. Love can be manipulated, misused. To love is to risk. The same is true with mercy. To be merciful is to risk. The same is true as grace. The same is true with our finances. The same is true with our families. To to use any of the talents God has given us means we are going to risk. A talent that God has liberally given you and uh, risk is how, okay, if if a talent is what God has liberally given you, Uh, risk is how you use it well to wait for his arrival. If you have love, you risk it and use it on others as liberally as God has used it on you. If you have been shown mercy, you risk it and you show just as much mercy to others as has been shown to you. If you have money, Bowers did an amazing job last week talking about this, then you risk it and you put it towards the advancement of God's kingdom. If you have an ability, then you risk it to build up God's kingdom and not just use it on yourself. This is the economy of God. If you hold on to what God has given, then it lays dormant and it gets unused. If you spend what God has given you, it doubles. Remember, this this parable is about selfishness, not necessarily laziness. It's It's not about venture capitalism. It's about waiting for God's arrival and how we participate in God's kingdom in the meantime while we wait for our master. The servants in the parable were given talents for a reason. It was assumed that they would actually do something with the talents that the master entrusted to them. And the ones that actually did something took risks and they doubled the master's amount. It is your choice whether or not to use the talents that God gave you. Because when you use the talents God gave you, they just happen to multiply. They just do. Not by a little, they multiply by double, actually. That's the economy of God. Uh, Then that's actually an ancient concept we see throughout scripture. Uh, The prophet Isaiah spoke about receiving a double portion of inheritance, like, like two talents if you're given one, for putting what God gave you to work in the world. And this is what Isaiah says. He says, they will be called oaks of righteousness, 
a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild ancient ruins and restore places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And you will be called priests of the Lord and you'll be named ministers of our God. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance so that you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. Rebuild, renew, and minister to the world instead of shame, like the, like the third servant, you'll be given double. Use what God has given you and you get double. This is the economy of God. What you cling to will disappear and what you give liberally doubles. It's the opposite of the kingdoms that we live in that say, get a high yield savings account or invest in this and diversify in that. Or if I just had a little bit more, I could do more in God's kingdom. This parable exists to tell us that that kind of thinking is nonsense. Holding on to what God has given us, burying it in the ground and keeping it for ourselves is a sign of a stagnant spiritual life. A healthy spiritual life is one that is constantly moving towards Christ's likeness. The one who said it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's not common sense. It is kingdom sense. The double impact of the kingdom of God happens when we risk and use the talents that God has given to us individually. The kingdom of God is not like our kingdoms. It goes against the natural senses to hold and to save and conserve. But what this text is telling us is that when it comes to the immeasurable amount that God has given you, whatever that looks like for you as an individual, holding and saving and conserving those things is exactly how you lose them. In the economy of God, when we give and use what was given to us by God, that is a life of waiting well for the Lord. Let's pray, and then we'll have communion together as a family. (coughs) Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you're good. I thank you that to each of us, according to what we can handle, you have given us an immense amount You've given us love and grace and mercy and truth. And however those look in our lives, Father, I ask that you would give us the discernment on how to use them so that we can wait for your arrival well. We love you. We ask for the grace to love you even more. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.